we please stand for a reading from the Gospel of Luke in the 15th chapter. Listen again for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, Well, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one who is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having lost, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house searching carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our strength and redeemer. Amen. So with the, the fans kind of loud and the... the AV stuff we were having earlier. Can you still hear me okay? Okay, good. Stanley, you can hear me okay? All right, great. So uh, we're coming to the end of our sermon series on joy. For the last four weeks, we've been exploring this concept of joy. And I want to say, I hope, I hope that maybe just a little bit somebody has discovered that there is real holy power in joy. It's no wonder that so many theologians describe joy as God's supreme gift to us. We've been really broadening our understanding of what joy is and where joy can be present. And I think that we've established that joy is so much more than just about a feeling of happiness. Joy is something that connects us to God to each other, and to the holy within each of us. Joy is creative. It opens and expands us. What makes joy such a powerful gift is that joy doesn't have any boundaries. Joy wanders in and sits with us sometimes when and where we least expect joy to be. Even in the darkest times of life, maybe in the form of, of a really good friend, a simple beauty in nature, 
maybe in, in a reconciliation, or, or in, in, a, in a simple meal, a, a good meal. Joy can show up in those times even as a memory. That's what Paul says, think on those things in a memory. Or mysteriously, joy can show up as good, as the solidarity, as the activism that God brings out of the heart, out of heartbreaking situations. The gift of joy is not bound by the situations of our lives. Joy is unbound. It is set loose by the very grace of God. And you may ask yourself, as I have the last several hours, how we can speak of joy when terror and violence is raining down on the innocent in our own nation. When 29 of our brothers and sisters have been murdered by semi-automatic assault-style weapons in the last few hours, in Texas and Ohio, and 42 more injured. How can we speak of joy when, when each week God's biblical gift of diversity and community is actively attacked in rhetoric, in public policy, and literally by white supremacists and white nationalist terrorists? Should we be speaking of joy? Can we speak of joy? But I have heard the word of God in the face of these ongoing tragedies, as well as, as the losses that are affecting each of us this week. The death of a loved one, getting less than the good news that we were hoping for, waiting longer for the blessing that we've been praying for, daily struggles and disappointments. And I think what God has said is that we must speak of joy now as much as, as ever. For joy is also defiance, an act of rebellion against hopelessness and violence and despair. Terrorists like the mass murdering white boys in California last week and Texas and Ohio yesterday, early this morning, their sinful view of the world is one where joy is uprooted and fear and hatred and violence and revenge are the rule. That is not Jesus' mission for the world. In fact, the mission of racists is anti-Christian. And the goal of white supremacists is anti-Christian. The worldview of white nationalists is anti-God's purpose for the world. And the objective of every terrorist is to sow fear and hatred so as to create a culture where more of the violence and division which their sin breeds flourishes. But the action of joy is the greatest force against evil the evil of terrorists. Action is what is required to push against this disease of violence and racism. 
like those religious folks around Jesus, there is much to grumble about. But just grumbling hardly ever leads to meaningful action. Grumblers just grumble. But joy leads to action. Desmond Tutu struggled against the staggering evil of racism and white supremacy in South Africa, and he is one of the most joyful souls that we have ever known. He had every reason to just grumble against the humiliating segregation of apartheid, and I'm sure he did grumble, but he also acted as a disciple of Jesus to pursue justice, to end oppression, to achieve peace and even reconciliation. And all of that action was filled with an unbound joy. When Jesus joyfully extended his arms to people who were sinners and tax collectors, those who were looked down on, his revolutionary joy and hospitality set the religious folks to grumbling. They didn't approve of his way of extending grace, his view for the world, his fellowship, the possibility of new life that he was offering to those types of folks. And they were grumblers. But Jesus was an agent of joy. He told stories of unbound joy, stories of celebrating the search and rescue of what was lost. Both of those stories are stories of reconciliation. When somebody opens their arms to God's love and mission of reconciliation in the world, it is a joyful, raucous celebration in heaven. Even the angels get to dancing. That is the picture of the life that God dreams for us, joy unbound. Pastor Russ and I were talking after church last Sunday about how growing up in the church, joy wasn't really encouraged, wasn't talked about a whole lot. And for all of the joy that we've heard about in the Bible, our churches taught the Christian life as a as pretty serious business. Now, I saw plenty of joy in my church, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't talked about as God's greatest gift for us, God's greatest desire for us to rejoice. In my church, we learned a lot about uh, how God wanted us to live. And, and oddly enough, I can't remember joy being mentioned. So let me be very clear. God's greatest desire for us is to celebrate and to enjoy God and all that God has made now and forever. Joy is God's plan for us. Joy is God's defeat of sin. Joy is God's medicine for our hard times. Joy is God's blessing of mutual relationship. Joy is God's tool for justice. And that joy that we hear about in Scripture, it's not even just, it's not limited to just human life forms. God planted the garden before God grew human beings, and God's desire is joy for all of the plants and all of the animals and everything that God has made. Joy unbound is God's plan for all of creation from the very beginning. 1 Chronicles 16 says, Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, The Lord is King. 
Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exalt and everything growing in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Psalm 96, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exalt and everything in it, and shall all of the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. Psalm 98, make a joyful noise all of the earth, let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord. In Psalm 65, the morning and the evening even shout for joy. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills are dressed in pure joy. The meadowlands are covered with flocks. The valleys decked out in grain. They shout for joy. They break out in song. Ecclesiastes 8, I commend joy. For a human has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and to be joyful. God's non-human creation knows what to do when God shows up to have joy. Rivers and fields know what to do when we know that God is on the way to have joy. A hill being a hill is just singing for joy. And what about us? Can we let our joy overflow when we remember that God has blessed us in this life? Can we let joy overflow in our hearts when we witness love? Can we clap for joy when we think how God is on the way to bring justice and peace and celebration? God sees the reality of our world, the injustice, the crime, God heard the cries of the innocent yesterday and this morning before any of us got news of that terror. God was there. God sees the greed, the corruption, the exploitation of the innocent and the vulnerable, and God will act. God is acting even now. And when God's justice rolls down like the waters, those waters will be clapping with joy for the poor will be rescued. When God's righteousness pours down like an ever-flowing stream, that stream will be singing for joy because the powers will be overturned. The greatest act of defiance in the face of those who cause fear and terror and division and hatred is to let joy, not hatred, not fear, be our motivating force for action. The prophet Isaiah said to his oppressed people, The poor will again find joy in the Lord. Let's be clear. The neediest of the people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. That's going to happen. The tyrant will be no more, Isaiah said. The mocker will perish, said the prophet. And all who plot evil, they will be eliminated. All who incriminate others wrongly, says the Bible, who entrap and judge in the gate, who pointlessly postpone justice for the innocent. That's gone away. To follow Jesus, to struggle for justice, to speak truth to power, to even look death in the face, is to let joy be the ruler of our heart. That is the ultimate statement of faith and trust in God's mercy and God's promises and God's provision and God's action 
our hope for eternal salvation. We are invited to join with creation to release a fountain of joy that is in our hearts welled up, to let that joy be unbound, to trust that God is God, and we belong to God, and God will always, always be faithful. I want to end with a story uh, that Henry Nouwen shared of a time that he and his father went to a German circus and saw these trapeze artists, the flying, the flying roadless is what they were called, saw them perform in the circus. And Henry says he was, he was enraptured when he first saw the roadlays moving through the air, flying and catching as elegant dancers. He went back the next day to see the circus again, and, and, and he waited around and introduced himself uh, to the flying roadlays as their great fan. And they became friends. Henry said one day he was, he was sitting and talking with Rodley, the, the, the leader of the troupe, talking about flying. And the trapeze artist said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I am the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision, grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. What, how does it work, Henry asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me to safety over the apron behind the catch bar. Henry said, surprised, you do nothing? Nothing, Rodley repeated. The worst thing the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrists, I, I might break them, or he might break mine, and that would be the end for both of us. Flyer must fly. Catcher must catch. Flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. And Henry writes, when Rodley said this with so much conviction, the words of Jesus flashed through my mind. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He says, dying is trusting in the catcher. To care for the dying is to say, don't be afraid. Remember that you are beloved child of God. He will be there for you when you make the long jump. Don't try to grab him. He'll grab you. You just stretch out your arms and hands and trust, trust trust. Beloved, this is joy unbound. Letting go with outstretched arms, flying through this crazy life. Trusting the catcher. And that feeling of flying is so full of joy when you know that God is there. That God is always there. Amen. Amen.